Let's finish today with cult, uh, countercultural. Next week is Father's Day. And then we, in our whole summer series, we're going to start is looking at how to love one another. Um, today, we're going to set the table for where we're going. Today really should be completed with some question and answer, but we don't have time for it. And in saying that, I'm going to lead into some areas today that I'm now allowed to because I'm old. I'm 50. So you just have to accept it. Countercultural mission is each Christ follower serving as a faithful presence by trusting in God's power and living differently from cultural norms. Practically speaking, what does this look like? What have we been trying to say? Practically, living a countercultural life is allowing God to redeem your past, not having an identity in your past. To redeem your past, to direct your present, and then to light up or illuminate your future steps so that you and I can become more like Jesus. Every one of us is called, whether you're here or at home. If you're at home in the chat, I want you to write three words. I am called. If you're here, let's say it all out loud. I am called. Every one of us is called. Every one of us is called to look more like Jesus, to Christ-like character formation. And every one of us is called to serve and make a Jesus-sized difference wherever God has us situated and placed. There is no Christian that is not called. Now there's another layer down is some of you are called to bring leadership to the sphere where you are and there's another layer down and notice what I'm doing. I am not saying a hierarchy up. There is another layer down where some are called out from the body, they're still a part of the body, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Oftentimes when we think about calling, we think about the third layer, but we are all called to make a Jesus-sized difference. And today I wanna tell some of you why you're stuck in your calling, and I also wanna warn all of us of a unique temptation in the world today that isn't new, but it is definitely ramping up in intensity. And so to best explain counterculture, we've looked at the life of Moses, we've gently exposed how God from love will allow you to live your life choice even into eternity, Pastor Mitch last week shared how we need to be equally courageous against the external giants within culture, but also our internal ones require the same level of courage. And today, we want to look at the story of Jonah. Again, we're looking at the story of Jonah, exposing things that we want to take all summer to begin to answer. So turn to the person beside you and say, it's not all going to get answered in 30 minutes. <laughs> just, just, just take that pressure off of me. It's not going to get answered in 30 minutes. But there are some things that are going to get exposed. If I took you to Genesis chapter 3, I would show you this. I would show you in Genesis chapter 3 that there are some things that God says, do not touch. That when we look at them, all we can see is that we want them, they look good. When you and I turn to sin, we're turning to nothingness. We are not turning to everything that God has. And so Genesis is really, really clear that there are certain things that look good from our perspective, but from God's perspective, they, they are not. Shortly after Elijah and Elisha, a prophet by the name of Jonah emerges on the scene. It's, the book of Jonah is such a curious story in the midst of the Old Testament. 
He is called to Nineveh, a massive, wealthy, Gentile city. The Assyrians were ruthless, they were cruel, and they were known for bloodshed. Their cultural god was Ishtar, which is the goddess of love and sexuality and also war. And God calls, everyone say God calls. God calls Jonah to deliver a standard message for an Old Testament prophet. In Jonah chapter one, verses one to two, it reads this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil. Note that, please, their evil, not their difference, Their evil has come up before me. It's so important for you to note this right here because of where the book of Jonah will now begin to unfold. For Jonah, everything that is wrong in the world can be understood with what is going on in Nineveh. Everything that opposes God is happening in Nineveh, and I want you to see that God does not nor ever excuse, minimize, diminish, or condone sin or evil. He atones for it in his son, but he never excuses it. You see right here, what is occurring in Nineveh, God calls evil. What happens in any nation that is against God, he calls evil. What happens in our own hearts that is against God? God calls it evil. evil. It, we, need, we need to be repent of it. We need to turn from it and live in a different way. Now, you would think that Jonah getting this call from God to go to his enemy, in essence, and to deliver this message, he could, would not be more excited How many of you have had one person in this world that you struggle to love? Show of hands. How many of you would love for God to give you the zinger that you want to zang them with? That's a biblical terminology for what it is that you do. Well, this happens for Jonah. Go to Nineveh, call out it, and because the evil has come up against me, So the question we have to ask then is, why then immediately does Jonah run in the opposite direction? Why does Jonah do the opposite of countercultural? Why does he move in the way of his own desires rather than in the obedience to which God is asking of him? Loved ones, there are some of you who are stuck, and you are stuck not because of what you don't know about God. You are primarily stuck because you know what is true about God. And if you say yes to follow God, he's gonna talk to you about that and you know it. He's gonna talk to you about this and you would rather focus about that, but he's gonna go from love here. Lori and I were having an interesting conversation over the course of the last week. When you turn a different decade, you get reflective. (laughs) And we were having a conversation and we were asking each other, what influences in our lives are currently present that, that under the banner of license and freedom in Christ are producing unrighteousness in us? We were just asking us, and we were talking about like what music, 
Like what music, and well, it's Christian music or it's secular music, mm, okay. But there also may be certain music that does unhealthy things in you and leads you to unrighteousness. And so it may not be all, but it may be this. Or, you know, what do we eat and what do we drink? You know, I love, if you put jujubes in the house, they're gone. Um, it's not unrighteousness, but it, it definitely, it, it makes me take the bulk a little bit too far. Um, that was a joke, by the way, that was a joke. That was just a joke. That was just me fat shaming myself. That's all that was. So we were talking about it, and then we were talking about like our closet. Like, what in here? And then we were talking about like, shows that we watch. Is this, under the banner of we can, we're, we're free in Christ, is there anything that we are actually letting unrighteousness influence us? And then Lori said, like, what about sports? And I said, get behind me, Satan. You have not the things of the kingdom of God in mind. Okay, she didn't actually say that. But what she did say is like, I think we should just take the TV out of our bedroom entirely. And I did protest much protest much because I just said to her, Lori, we, we can do that in a season, but right now I love each of my children equally, but during hockey season, I have nowhere to go other than in this place. So I held onto that idol with every fiber of my being. But it's an important question to ask, not just about those things, but also attitudes that we have in our own hearts and lives. You see, the opposite of being countercultural is this. It is trusting in yourself more than God. And sometimes with everything that we consume, it can be evident that we are trusting in ourselves more than allowing God to speak to us about our stuff. I'll keep going. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now a few chapters later, we will see precisely why Jonah runs from God. Pause. In one sense, you can run from God. In another sense, the God who is everywhere I'm gonna go where God isn't. Good luck finding that place. And some of you as parents who've got kids who are running from God, I wanna just remind you, wherever they are, they are running to where God is. You are never praying for God to show up somewhere. You are praying for the person to have a revelation that he's always been there. He promised he never leave us or forsake us, and guess what? He keeps his promises, he meant it. He's that good, he is that good. So here's Jonah though, and in one sense, he, he can't get away from God, but he is, he is moving in the direction of his internal formation. What would it have been for Jonah to grow up in this time and in this season and to believe because of the evil of the Ninevites expressly towards his people, that they are the problem of what is wrong in the world. And now the message comes that God asks him to go to this place 
And the problem of Jonah, again, isn't that he does not know God. It is that he knows God. And he knows if he goes and delivers this message that God is going to do what Jonah does not want God to do. This is the internal challenge of Jonah's life. And he prayed in Jonah chapter 4. We see the precise reason. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? I'm sorry, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, everyone say, I knew. I knew. Jonah says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, for me, that sounds like all the attributes of God that I love. Aren't you glad that God is gracious? Are you glad that he's merciful? Slow to anger. He's got a really long fuse, but it's tied to a real big bomb. He is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and he relents from disaster. These are all the things that we love about God until he is this to people that we don't believe are deserving of it. You with me? So Jonah is fine For God to be this to him and the children of Israel. And for some of you who struggle and you don't get the fullness of the Old and the New Testament, you're like, man, why does the Old Testament God seem so angry then in Jesus? It is the same God. And the book of Jonah goes into the midst of the story to show God's heart for God so loved all the people of the world. Yes, his chosen people, absolutely, which we are grafted in. But you even see in the book of Jonah, his heart for Gentiles. Here's a question. Where might you be running from God because of what you know about God to be true? Where may you be running from God because of what you know to be true about God? That to say yes beyond your salvation and continue to take steps in your calling, which is necessary. There's no such thing as an insignificant or unnecessary follower of Jesus. Every one of us is vital. None of us is the hero of the story, Christ alone. But every one of us are integral. And if your spiritual enemy, if the devil cannot rob your salvation, he will rob your purpose and your calling. If he cannot rob what Jesus has done for you, he desires to rob what Jesus desires to do through you because what Jesus desires to do through you is to let other people see more of the kingdom and experience more of him. And if he cannot stop what's happened in you, he will try to thwart this. And some of us are allowing ourselves, like Eve, like we've all done, is to turn from God to turn to nothingness in the grand scheme of what it is that God intends. Towards the people of Nineveh, pause again. Who were evil? 
I am not under any iota. What I'm saying now, what I'm moving to say forward, I am not condoning it. I'm not toning it down. I'm not doing any of those things. God clearly sees that what the Ninevites are and how they're behaving, he calls it evil in his sight. He's not condoning it. He is not a God who looks at Nineveh and then says, essentially, mm, not really a big deal. Evil is always a big deal to God. Injustice is always a big deal to God. This is not God overlooking. This is God being who God is, that he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and he relents from disaster. And this is what God is being to Jonah. And this is what God is being to Nineveh. But Jonah desires God to be just and righteously angry and decisive in, in delivering justice as he sees justice should be swiftly delivered. And I get Jonah. Don't you? Don't you? I get Jonah. I get when I look at the world, I'm like, God, how do you allow that? Don't you? Don't you, when you see the brutal injustice all around the world, don't you sometimes cry, oh God, I wish you'd be a little less patient with them, not me, let me clarify. <laughs> if you aren't, if you don't have those feelings, then you, you may be a little bit too self-focused. When you look at the world, this should rise in our heart. But equally, what also should rise in our heart is, I see what I see, and God sees what God sees. And I need to understand that following Jesus is not trying to get God to see the world the way I see the world. Following Jesus is me being the apprentice of Jesus, learning to see the world that he's, the way he sees the world. And this is slow work. This is why God is gracious and merciful because it's slow process in our lives. Dr. Derwin L. Gray says this, that loving your enemies may not change your enemies, but it'll keep your enemies from changing you. And loved ones, I am deeply concerned that too many followers of Jesus are being formed by a hatred of an other or an enemy and not in the way of Jesus. From Jonah's perspective, his lack of love towards his enemies, coupled with his disappointment towards God, is a deadly combination. I'm gonna say that again. From Jonah's perspective, his lack of love towards his enemies, and I'm gonna repeat it, who were doing evil. I'm not saying they weren't. But his lack of love towards his enemies with his disappointment towards God is a deadly combination. By the way, if you want to do a little study this week, take the book of Jonah. It's, it, you know what? It's not a very long book. It's like four chapters. And then you can go like, oh, I read a book this week. What did you do? Seriously. But don't just read the book. Let it read you. Let it speak to you. So the book of Jonah is four chapters. Take this book. If you want to read it side by side, read it with the parable of the prodigal son. It's the same story. Or it's real similar. Jonah is the quintessential older brother, in a sense. A lot of different variables, I know. A lot of similarities. 
Jonah and the older brother and the prodigal son, they both see the father's love, mercy, and kindness as unjust, unfair, and threats to themselves when it isn't. Offended with God is an invitation to a detoured faith. Some of you are dwelling in a place you were only ever intended to visit. In this world, you cannot go through this world without being wounded, and I am not going to diminish what wounded you one iota, and I am going to say wounded is not your whole story. Wounded and redeemed and healed in Christ is your story. You cannot go through life without being offended at yourself and others. But I promise you that offended is not where you are meant to live. Outrage is not where we are meant to live. There are things that are outrageous. But living in a state of outrage or offense is not where God has us to live. Offended and then healed by God is where we are called to live. Some of you are dwelling in a place you were only intended to visit. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet living under the law of Moses. A singular spokesman for God. It, under that time in his life, it was one and done. You get it wrong, you die. Because you cannot claim to speak for God and get it wrong all the time. Or else people then do not see God clearly because you get in the way. It wasn't because God did not value his word in the Old Testament. It's precisely because he did. Be careful when you say, thus saith the Lord. And the opening to the book of Jonah reveals how, just how poorly Jonah gets it wrong. Yet he doesn't get what he deserves. He gets grace. Jonah hears clearly, yet runs directly in an opposite direction. And his recklessness endangers the lives of innocent people. Now, while the great fish swallowing Jonah may not appear, <laughs> it is an act of divine grace. Now, if it was me, I would have named and claimed a yacht. Hmm? I would have at least named and claimed a nice fishing boat. For those of you who like to fish. But God appoints a fish. Turn the person beside you and go, I don't like that. Okay, let's get real, real. Because I'm 50, I'm now allowed to say this. <laughs> if your belief of God at the center of it is your comfort, you have an incorrect view of God and yourself. At the center of God's bullseye is you becoming more like Jesus and, so, and me becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes for God to have us be more like Jesus, he can't send the yacht. He needs to send the fish. <laughs> you need to spend some time where you don't want to be spending some time. But Jonah was not called to live in the fish just a few days and a yak and that's it. All right, on the shore and then away he goes. 
everything God is being to Jonah, he does not wish God to be to Nineveh, so he's stuck. And here's what we can see again and again and again. Detoured faith, which begins with being offended towards God and looking in the world and saying, if they were not the way they are, the world would be better. Creating another, and there are others, I get it, but living in the world, offended and another, creates a detoured faith, and detoured faith always drives to an inferior destination. A powerful shaping story in our world today is one as a pastor, I have a growing concern about. Now, the story that I'm going to, the, the, the worldview that I'm going to unpack, it isn't always a bad narrative. Sometimes it is necessary and effective for the sense of clarifying what it is we believe, where are we in disagreement, what our values are, what is occurring. So I'm not saying it's all bad. If I look at the story of Jonah, again, it's very, very clear that who Jonah is and who Nineveh is and how God is working, that God is very clear towards Nineveh that there are things in Nineveh that they need to repent of. There are things in Nineveh that they need to turn from. There is evil that God wants to deal with. So I'm not saying, it's 2023, so I gotta say everything I'm not saying before I try to say what I'm saying. And I'm just gonna call it the ABCD pattern. And it is present every day. And it wants to shape your life and it desires, especially within Canada today, to become the driving narrative of your life. Not just a way to look at something, which can be healthy, but the driving narrative of your life. And it is this. A, discover a truth or something that you believe is most true. By the way, our culture says if you want to discover truth, look inside. Our Savior said if you want to look at what's wrong with the world, look inside. Two different things. Jesus said, you want to know where all of that comes from? It comes from within. This is where he wants to heal us and move us and redeem us. But the world comes along and says, if you want to figure out who you really are, don't look externally. First, look internally and discover your own truth. And when you discover your own truth, then you need to do the next thing, which is B, align with those who agree with you. C, fight against those who disagree with you and rinse and repeat until you're dead. I'm telling you, watch this story. It's powerful. Discover a truth or something that you believe is most true. Align with those who agree with you. Fight against those you disagree. Rinse and repeat again and again and again and again. Now, when you look at Canada, how many of you got some things you disagree with? Can I see your hands, please? Absolutely. It is okay to see have sharp disagreements in a democracy. To the person beside you can go, careful now. <laughs> it is actually okay to look and go like, I think I would vote, like no party's perfect, but I think I'll vote this party. And someone else can be like, you kidding? I'm gonna vote that party. It is okay to have differences even in a democracy. But loved ones, our faith is not rooted in, the salvation of Canada is not rooted in another political party. It's not. It may be good as a Canadian, and some of you are like, I like this, I like that, I don't even vote at all, I don't care. I do care as a Canadian, but as your pastor, I, ah. 
I'm simply trying to say, if we buy hook and sinker to this, Canada will be blank if this. And if in this equation, it is Canada will be this, and the answer isn't if Christ doesn't reign, it is an inferior power that will form you in demonic ways. It will deform you, and we will live our lives believing and fighting one another until we die. For some of you who are young, I'm telling you, Christians are not the problem to everything that is wrong in the world. We're just not. We're actually not that good. We're not. But you see what happens in this story, and we see it in our news every single day, that for me, because I have now found truth by looking in myself, for me to be free, I need to conquer you. This is the driving narrative of our time. And the book of Jonah is actually saying, it's not enough just to see evil. If you want them wiped off the face of the earth, you don't know the heart of God, because the heart of God is that you and I would be countercultural to this narrative that we would love our enemies the way that God loves us. And I don't like to do that. I really don't. I don't even like to let you in front of me when I drive. I don't. I really don't. Like if we're on this road together and I, you see me do this, I am not doing it from grace. I'm doing it from discipline. Everything in me is like, I want to just block you and like go behind. <laughs> Have you ever been in a line somewhere and someone just cuts in front of you in buds? <laughs> Excuse me. I was here. <laughs> but if you actually step back, have you ever driven into a parking lot and you had your indicator on and someone just blazes into the spot? <laughs> Lori, you're gonna need to drive for a minute. <laughs> I'm shook. Sometimes God will purposely, continually put you in the belly of the fish because he's trying to teach you something about how he is being to you to how he is asking you to serve others. Not call their evil, sin, other, their evil good. That doesn't serve anyone. Equally, not calling their evil good and ignoring your own. I'll finish there. So here's the danger and then a concern, and I'm gonna keep going because I'm getting a little sweaty. Here's the danger that happens to all of us. We tend to read the biblical stories as if we are David, Esther, Moses, and sometimes we're Nineveh. Okay? We tend to read it like, well, of course I would be David in this story and not Goliath. Who said you were automatically David? No, I'm serious. And some of you read the New Testament like, well, of course I would be Jesus in this story. You're never Jesus in this story. <laughs> Jesus is only Jesus. 
Like you're never Jesus. You are becoming like Jesus to which we give him all glory. But in the story, Jesus is Jesus. You're either the one he's yelling at or the one he's ministering to. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> Why did you clap like that? <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> That's true. He's yelling at me. That's true. I know that to be true. Some of you, though, only know Jesus through the language of yelling, and you need to also learn the language of affection from your father because that is equally Jesus. So my danger is, yeah, sometimes this happens, but here's my concern. My pastoral concern, if we go the A, B, C, D route, in this narrative, if this becomes your only worldview, and not a worldview that is helpful at times, but your only worldview, like I'm right, you're wrong, everywhere, um, here's the problem. You remain at the center of your story, not Jesus. So whatever you see is right, not what Jesus says is right. Some of you have allowed Jesus to touch your salvation, but you won't let him touch your compass. You know what a compass does? It points to north, south, east, north, south, never eat shredded wheat. North. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, I can't do directions. If I could, imagine, some of you are like, that's, that's not even right. It's an illustration. How many of you know that doesn't matter what changes in Ottawa, north is north? Doesn't matter what changes in culture, Jesus is Jesus. He's the way, truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It's north. And he said that we're to love others the way he loves us. That's north. And I wish he would have said, love one another the way you love one another, because I can probably do that a little better. But he didn't. He said, I want you to love others the way that I love you. And what is he saying to Jonah? I want you to love Nineveh the way that I am loving you. And Jonah goes, I knew you were gonna say that, I'm going this way. <laughs> and I get Jonah. When I look at the world, who will God ask you to love that will make you run in the other direction? I don't wanna love them, I wanna correct them. Your calling might be to bring correction, but you have to first learn to love. Or you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, 1 Corinthians 13. And I am an expert gong and cymbal. I am. So are you sometimes. So is there any other being created in your heart? And I also have a prayerful theory. If you never let God change your story, you are very, very susceptible to falling away from Christ. And here's why. Because the world will cast a more compelling narrative of what is wrong in the world. And when you see it, it will affirm everything deformed in you instantly. And it will call you to inferior change that gets political points and not prophetic power. It will use you for your vote, but has no interest in your victory in Christ. And I'm not saying it's a wrong power. I'm just saying it's not God's power. You can vote different. But do not believe 
that a different political party is the answer to Canada being saved. A move of the spirit is the answer to Canada being saved. A move of the spirit is the only reason we're saved. That's it. I'm 50 now, I'm allowed. <laughs> Jonah chapter four. No, oh, I'm serious. The message that we're trying to deliver today to the best we can, which I know is wildly imperfect, you can pick holes in it easily, I get it. I'm nervous for fellow pastors because to preach a message of hate against a group will grow your church in Canada today, but it will deform them to making a Jesus-sized difference. And what happens in five, 10 years when our culture goes headlong into sin, believing it is good, but it is nothingness, they may not five, 10 years down the road, it may be 10 years down the road where they are ready to turn, will we be a community that they can look at and go, ah, I can be safe there even though I'm different. We are not just ministering now, we are ministering Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are ministering for future generations to say yes to Jesus, not just to win now. I don't want to win now if it means losing a generation. Do you? I want to win all the time. <laughs> but I want to win by saying, God, I want to see the world the way you see the world which once again is not calling evil good. But it goes a little further. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, rude, that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. How unkind. I wanted a gentle breeze. <laughs> and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yeah, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you, this is like when God is really gonna deliver his zinger, here it comes. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? What's he saying there? They are lost. And then he says, and also much cattle, and that's just for you vegans. <laughs> God reveals life to Jonah from his perspective. You pity the plant. I planted, grew, and appointed Jews a gift. In the same way, I labored over Nineveh, made it grow, and I am at work there as much as I am at work in you. Final thought. Not original to me at all. How many of you ever heard the expression, love the sinner, hate the sin? I don't use that expression anymore. I have found for me it's too tempting to add two characters which changes the entire understanding of it. 
Love the sinner, hate the sin usually becomes love the sinner, hate their sin. And if you live your life simply hating their sin, usually you end up being ignorant to your own. I like Jesus' version. Love the sinner, hate sin. Wherever you find it. You may find it in you. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it enough to turn from it. Some of you, you will step into your calling when you let God speak to you about that. And God speaking to you about that isn't because he doesn't love you. It's because he does so much. The story of Jonah is a cautionary tale warning us never to diminish what God calls sin, but to be careful when all we are is angered by the sin in them and not in us. When this happens, our lives can move in a powerful direction that is not countercultural to the way God intended. I know there's a million questions and a lot of yeah buts, and this summer we want to take 10 or 11 weeks to actually unpack, okay, what does it mean then to love one another? Like, what, how, how do I actually do this? Does it, like, I can never take a stand? I'm not saying that. But I am saying, let's learn how to love one another the way Jesus loves us. Heavenly Father, in this moment, this sober moment, that which is of you, let it remain. That which is of me, let it be disagreed with. But Holy Spirit, that which you are doing in us and in our church, help us to be more like you. Help us not to delude ourselves in thinking that we can run from you and still serve you. Lord, speak to our hearts today, from the youngest to the most mature amongst us. Father, I thank you that all of us, until the day that we die, are on a journey of becoming more like you. And none of us are immune or above this stuff happening in our own hearts. And so speak to us, Lord. We are all at times like Jonah, but you are gracious and you are compassionate. You are slow to anchor and you are abounding in steadfast love. And from that love, you call us to follow you. And if we will follow you, you'll make us into who you've destined us to be. Amen.